Hello and welcome to Spawn, a common sense, generally fun and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. And I'm Kristen Chase. And we are the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com. Today, we're going to be talking with art psychotherapist Tina Montagna-Tate about helping our teens who are struggling with the isolation and social distancing happening right now. I know this is something that many of us with older teens are dealing with, so I'm so happy that Tina is here to chat with us today. I am too, and I know it's affecting kids of all ages, but teens really are feeling it in an extra hard way, so I think this is a really important topic to talk about. And we'll be right back to have a helpful chat with Tina right after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Infant C, which provides access to comprehensive infant eye assessments with participating doctors of optometry free of charge. When it comes to your baby's eyesight, it's important to start eye exams early. In fact, the American Optometric Association recommends babies have their first around six months of age, which is when their eyes undergo pretty big changes. With an estimated one in five preschoolers having vision problems, there are ways that parents can help assure that their child's eyes and vision are developing properly from watching signs for any eye and vision problems to seeking professional eye care. This starts with a comprehensive eye assessment at around six months. Thanks to Infant C, that's I-N-F-A-N-T-S-E-E, Infant C, a public service program managed by Optometry Cares, the AOA Foundation, families can bring their child six to 12 months of age to a participating optometrist for a free comprehensive infant eye assessment regardless of their family income or insurance coverage. With so many important visits and exams that babies need to help give them the best start, it's so helpful that programs like Infant C are available, making it so much easier for all families to have access to such crucial care. For more information and to find a practitioner, visit infantc.org. That's infantcse.org. Okay, so full disclosure, Tina is officially my oldest friend, and that shouldn't be like oldest as in age, but I should say (laughs) the friend that I've known the longest. We actually met at my first job after college. We were both working with mental health patients. I was a music therapist, and she is and was an art psychotherapist. That was 20 years ago, which means she really knows her stuff. And we all had our babies at the same time, so I've known her almost 15 years, so she's not my oldest friend, but I'd like to (laughs) consider her a seasoned friend. Oh, good one. Good, good. (laughs) She's a nationally registered board certified art therapist and a licensed professional counselor in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. She's worked with a wide range of individuals and groups from early childhood to late adulthood. And currently she has a private practice where she works with kids and teens within a family therapy context, as well as with adults. She specializes in anxiety, depression, behavior problems, school avoidance or refusal, difficulty in school, transitions, trauma, Loss, grief. So you can see why we wanted to talk with her today. Tina, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm super, super glad to be here. It's a little surreal after listening to all the Spawn podcasts to be on one. So Ooh, that's cool. Yes, we're very <laughs> famous, as you know, Tina. You are the most famous to me. <laughs> it's good to have you here. And since we're all famous in our self-quarantined homes, actually, you know, Kristen, the podcast closet was like really good preparation for what we're dealing with these days, isn't it? I know. I do I wish I had a few more snacks in here, but otherwise I'm fine. I've got shoes. I've got scarves. I probably have a rogue water bottle. I have a bucket for peeing. I'm good to go. 
I do not have a bucket for peeing in here. Are you being held hostage somewhere? <laughs> well, it kind of feels that way. But anyway, our hands are washed. We are sanitized and sterilized. We are talking by phone. We are all safe and practicing safe social distancing. And let's jump right in. Tina, I'm so glad you're joining us today because we are seeing so many articles about how to support teens through this. We had an amazing podcast last week about it. But, you know, the questions keep coming. So why in particular is this a difficult age group when it comes to everything going on right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Adolescents have it rough right now. I think that the primary job for parents when we have our kids, right, is to take care of their needs and to be needed, generally speaking. And the job of an adolescent is to not need us. (laughs) So when we're in this position, this extra fun, lots of home time with family, parents is not really what they're looking for. They're looking to forge an identity. They're looking for autonomy. That's the goal of the developmental stage that they're in. And so it hits them particularly hard. And I think for older adolescents in particular, they're suffering a lot of real life losses. You know, they're losing a lot of these big social opportunities that are rites of passage for Mm. us, right? Like Mm. proms and graduations and just the regular hanging out with their friends for sure. But like there are some big, big things they're not able to participate in and they're feeling those losses acutely. And I think as parents, it's hard for us when our kids are in pain, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's a tough dynamic for parents and for kids. So what are the kinds of issues that you're hearing from parents of teens? Are there certain things that kind of come up over and over? Is it like missing out of things like proms and school plays and sporting practice? Or is it something else entirely? I think it's the gamut. Things are changing so rapidly that I think everybody's feeling kind of unstable and not really sure how much to engage, how not to engage. I mean, within the span of, I don't know, 48 hours, you know, it went from wave high across the street to like now people are scared to go to the grocery store. So it's rapidly changing. It's rapidly moving. I think that uncertainty is really hard for both parents and kids. But I think parents of teens are in a really tough situation. It's very, very challenging. We have our own feelings about what's happening. It's not like something really terrible has happened to our teen and we're just in our regular everyday life and we're trying to help them through it. We're all kind of in it and struggling. And so that can present a challenge too. So for parents of teens, I think they have a lot of questions. I think a lot of times they're feeling like the bad guy. They have to sort of enforce these rules that they don't really care for either, but it just is sort of mandated by the situation. So I think there's a lot of confusion for parents of teens. I think there's a lot of conflicted feelings for both parents and teens. That's what I'm hearing mostly, that it's a really challenging situation and there's no playbook to tell us how to do this well or That easily. makes sense. I mean, I know I'm feeling anxious myself, especially, I don't know why, but today I started to feel even more anxious. So being anxious and fearful myself, then also having to deal with kids who are anxious, that feels like a recipe for, I don't know, a whole lot of um, macaroni and cheese (laughs) and candy, I have to say. And I know, Tina, we've talked about this and you mentioned this to me that the neurotypical kids, right, as, as opposed to some of the kids who have already the generalized anxiety, maybe don't like to go out as much, are perhaps having a harder time with what's happening. I know some of our staff members who have shared questions to ask you today have mentioned that. I know that doesn't run across the board completely, but can you talk a little bit more about why that's happening? Because I think some people expected maybe that their anxious kids would be more anxious, and it's not so much that 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 is the case right now. Right, right. That's a really interesting thing that I've been noticing also. And I think of it like this. 
teens are individuals too, just like everybody else. So I'm talking broad brushstrokes, knowing that every teenager is not the same, clearly. But what I'm finding with kids and frankly, adults who have some anxiety or who are, say, really introverted or very shy, doing some of the things that teenagers normally have to do every day causes a little bit of anxiety. And it's a little bit of effort for them to maybe perform in athletics if they have performance anxiety or to spend a lot of time in school or to be separated from their parents if they have some separation anxiety. And with this kind of drop out of the regular schedule, parents and kids alike are kind of, there's a little bit of like, kind of that feeling when you walk off the moving walker at the airport, you know, like you're walking <laughs> and the thing's moving with you and then you like step yeah. off and you're like, yeah. whoa, everything stops. And I think to a certain subset of the population, that can be pretty comforting. You can't go anywhere. We're not overscheduled. Everybody's kind of has some downtime. And it's depends on how long this goes on, I think. But for some of those kids, it feels comfortable. They can stay in their jammies. They're doing online learning. They don't have to go. There's a lot of bit of cocooning that's happening. You know what I mean? Naturally, just from the situation. I think what happens for a kid who has a robust social life or who's super into athletics and needs a lot of that physical activity plus the competition to sort of make them feel normal and natural, that subset of this population, I think, is having a real tough time. That's my kids. I'm really feeling it from them. It's funny because as extroverted as I can be, I actually really like alone time and sequestering at home because <laughs> Krista knows like mm -hmm. I like I could I could be like, wow, it's been a week since I went out and I'm okay. <laughs> but my kids, interestingly, like one of them thinks of herself as an introvert, but she's actually realizing through this process that she's really missing like hugs from her friends or like something in her morning routine at school where they would all do something collectively as a group or a lunchtime together. Like I think it's making her realize more about herself and it, it's been challenging for her because she's like wait a minute maybe I'm not an introvert maybe I need my friends more than I thought and now I can't be with them. Right. Well, I mean, there's a difference between being kind of socially isolated and being an introvert, right? Being an introvert, you, you charge your batteries when you're alone and she's had enough now. So her batteries are full. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's a great way to, to go put out, it. Like hug her friends and have good times. And so introvert or extrovert, I think once we pass the certain threshold, some kids are like, yeah, I'm good to go now. And then mm. they can't. And it, those are losses for them. You know, that's a loss. And it, it leaves them kind of chomping at the bit with no really good place to put their frustration except for us. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm also kind of thinking about, you know, as someone who's dealt with social anxiety myself, like I've been through periods in my life where, you know, I just was home for a while and then it was hard to force myself to go out. Out. And I keep thinking about those kids who are finding comfort in the cocooning and the staying in and what will happen when everything goes back to normal. Are they going to have more trouble reintegrating? They will. Yes. I, that would be my prediction if I could predict. Yeah. Because avoidance and anxiety go hand in hand. And so when you avoid something that makes you anxious, in the short term, it works, right? Because you don't have to do the thing that you're anxious about. But in the long term, it's not a really good coping strategy. So it makes it harder to re-engage when you've done some time avoiding. And so when kids are school refusing, say, and we work really hard and we get them back into school and they're going every day, they could be going every day for six months. And then if they get a big illness or a bout of the flu or spring break comes or summer vacation, when it's time to go back, it's going to be harder for them. And they have to sort of work pretty hard to get up over that initial hump. It's like the law of inertia. Exactly. Like the body in motion stays in motion. But once you're at rest, you're going to stay at rest. Well, listen, I'm glad you brought up anxiety, but I know there's other emotions that kids mm -hmm. are feeling right now that yes. we're seeing anger and kids like lashing out at parents and siblings. <clears throat> You're seeing 
a lot of, you know, grief and sadness and mourning for things they're losing. We're seeing depression. Um, when should parents start to worry? Who are these parents who are waiting to worry? <laughs> 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 waiting to worry. <laughs> I want to meet those parents. Um, I think we're all worried, but I think that maybe we don't need to be so worried, right? I think that you hit the nail on the head as far as I'm concerned that this is a grieving process, a lot of it for kids, particularly kids who are losing a lot. Even if it doesn't look to us like they're losing a lot, if they feel like they're losing a lot, that's real for them. That's how they're feeling. And that feeling is real. I think that in general, we could do a whole show on how parents engage with kids with strong negative emotion, because I think the way we do it is intuitive and it makes sense. It's not always helpful, right? Mm -hmm. The way parents engage with their kids when they're having strong negative emotion. We could do literally a whole show on that. But in particular, these feelings are adjustment related. This isn't a permanent situation that we're going mm -hmm. through. It's sort of this really acute temporary, maybe protracted situation, but it's not going to be like this forever. You know, it's, it's an adjustment process and a grief process. So that anger and the depression and the frustration and all of those are really normal feelings to have in this really super abnormal situation. And I think if parents can have a little bit of a paradigm shift, it may be easier for them to digest that and understand it, right? That this is normal. These are normal reactions to have for this crazy time. And they themselves are having some of these reactions. What they want is for their kids to be okay they want their kids to feel better. And I think if our efforts are going towards trying to make our kids feel better, we're kind of doomed to be in this loop of ever intensifying negative feelings and resentment towards us. Uh, you know, we, they don't want us to fix their problems or their feelings. They know we really can't. And so empathy is the key and compassion is the key. It's a little counterintuitive how you actually do that, but probably for most people too soon to worry. Mm -hmm. And if we get to the point where our kids are doing things like not eating, not sleeping, self-harming, I mean, if we, if that is probably a small slice of sliver of the population. If we get to those things, then probably we would need some professional help, right? But the majority of what we're experiencing, these intense, strong, negative emotions are completely normal response. And I love that you're saying that empathy is really how we handle it. And we've talked about this before. Sometimes just acknowledging that your kids' feelings are real and okay is what they need. They don't always need us to fix it or give them another Oreo, even though I've been giving out a lot of Oreos this week. <laughs> well, and basically saying, oh, you're going to miss prom, but there are people in Italy that are locked up in their homes for seven weeks. That is not oh, the way God. to go. <laughs> and parents should not do that to each other either. I have literally seen people like on social media calling out other people like, no. you shouldn't complain about <sighs> this. There are other people who... And I thought, you know, grief is relative. Like, we're all dealing with this in different ways. Like, yes, parents are complaining about being home with their kids. And yes, there are other people who may be, like, quarantined alone and are elderly and are lonely. Like, everyone's different. And, everyone, like, I think we just all have to give each other a wide berth and be kind and let everyone have whatever feelings they're having right now. Absolutely. And it's interesting because part of it, you know, I feel good because I'm off the hook, right? Like, I'm not going to activities and I'm not going to all these things. So, in a way, I'm feeling a sense of relief. 
grief, which is the converse to what my kids are feeling, right? And so then I think trying to deal with those intense feelings of grief when you're feeling intense feelings of relief in some ways or another really separates you even more emotionally from your teen than you may had even been, right? So you may have already been separated a bit emotionally from them just by nature of where they are developmentally. And now you're feeling so differently than what they are. So I think that's good advice. Empathy is always good, right? We talk about that a lot. Can we talk about socialization, though? Because this is a big one. And this is kind of a two-part question. So first of all, you know, social distancing, we know, is the way when it comes to supporting physical health, right? Like this is how we can flatten the curve, but it is not great for mental health. We have lots of ideas. Like we run a tech site. So we're like, you know, you can go group FaceTime. Have you done house party with your friends? And our teens are looking at us like we're crazy. Like just leave us alone. Is is there a way for us to approach the topic? Because we know that socialization is important for them. Like, do we just leave them alone? Do we wait for them? to initiate it? Like, tell us what we should do when it comes to fostering this. And then we're going to piggyback that with another question. Yeah, it's funny because I'm laughing as you're talking because just by nature of being the one to make the suggestion, it invalidates whatever (laughs) the suggestion is. (laughs) Yay, teenagers. (laughs) So you are the coolest and you could definitely give all those suggestions to my kid who would be like, Auntie Kristen's the greatest. (laughs) Oh, so not just your kids? Mine always say, it's Kristen on the phone, our favorite mom. (laughs) So so basically we just need to create a group, right? And I'll suggest stuff to your kids, Liz. You can suggest stuff to mine and then we can just do it that way. Okay. That's one suggestion. What else? (laughs) Basically, that's all I got. I mean, really, honestly, if you think about it, so teenagers are kind of built this way. They don't want too much understanding from us because they're these unique beings who they're the only ones who've ever felt this way ever. Right. We have. And so when we say, Oh, when I was your age or, you know, it's like instantly the ears fold in completely into their heads and they don't want to hear anything you have to say. It's part of the developmental stuff. We don't want to be like sort of in it for them or with them. Right. We can say it's super frustrating. We can say it really sucks that you can't be with your friends and all of that. You can say to them, you know, let me know if you want some ideas, opening up a discussion about general use of social media during this time, like not related to them or their concerns might be helpful. Like, what do you think about people using this to keep in touch? Or what do you think about older people? On like, So if you're having conversations, I think you can open up options for them, but they know tech. They know tech pretty well. They're going to come up with ideas we don't even think about. Exactly. And those are going to be the ideas that work. Exactly. (laughs) You know, my daughter this week, I decided I was going to have no screen time limits. That was going to be our quarantine. And so for the last few days, my daughter has been sitting in front of the TV playing, well, as of today, Animal Crossing with headphones on. So she's playing with friends and she's playing games with friends where sometimes they're not even like in the game together. They're playing independently while they all talk through a group chat about what they're playing. (laughs) And like, that's what she's doing. And I'm like, hey, that works. She feels like she's with her friends, like for many hours a day. And I thought, that's cool. I'm not going to tell her to do a house party if like she's enjoying playing a video game while chatting with like seven guys at one time who are playing, you know, whatever game she's playing. For real. And I think, you know, some of them are processing a lot of the younger teens that I know are just binge watching shows right now. They're not even really 
communicating yet. I mean, I think this will get old and they will. They'll start to congregate the way they congregate. But it's like, you know, how all the old people were on Facebook and the, they, we chased all the young people away from Facebook and then they had to start something else. It's like, it's like no matter what, you know, we're just going to keep going from thing to thing to thing and they're always going to be like two steps ahead yeah, of us. Kristen and I are working on chasing them off of TikTok personally right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's coming, ladies. It's coming because there's a lot of uh, grown-ups on TikTok right now. Yeah, so right. Pretty soon the kids will have something else to do. I have a friend of mine who coined this for me and I use it now. I've been calling it physical distancing, right? I don't think we need to stay socially distant. Mm. I think we need to stay physically distant for health reasons, physically distant. Oh my gosh, Tina, you're a genius. How come no one has done that before? That's so smart. <laughs> I just stole that from my friend. Shout out to Ruth. But shout they, out Ruth. <laughs> yeah, shout out Ruth. Because I think it's real. I think that we need to be doing more social connection. But at the same time, like for teens, we're letting them lead. We're letting them decide. We're giving them options. We're having these sort of oblique conversations about other people that they can sort of tap into or not. And then we kind of get out of their way and let them process kind of however they're processing. Well, that is a really good segue to my next question. Yes. And I'm going to get on my soapbox here. Go ahead. No I'll blow intended. it up for you. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So here's the thing. So I, I'm in New York where our schools officially closed on Monday. Kristen's schools have been closed um, since before that. I know most schools in the country are closed now. But there are a variety of different measures in place by city and state about going out or not going out. And for the last week, New York has had this social distancing policy where you're really not supposed to go out unless you're an essential worker. You're not supposed to be at school. You're not supposed to be riding the subways. And, you know, it's kind of on the honor system. System, right? Until today, when we're recording on Friday, when our governor Cuomo basically said, yep, as of Sunday, we're locking everything down because you are not playing by the rules. Now, here's the thing. Over the past week, even with all of the stuff we know about social distancing, and this is where I'm getting like super angry, my kids have been coming to me saying, mom, these kids just had a play date with six kids together. Or like, I just saw four of my friends like playing basketball in the park. They're not jealous. I'm lucky that they're not like, why can't I do that? But they're like, why would they do that? And I don't know what to say, except like these people are idiots. Like, I'm so angry. I'm so <laughs> angry. Like, haven't you been watching the news, parents? And it makes me think of how, you know, when our kids were babies, all these parents talked about like homemaking their organic baby food and only buying the you know, organic, expensive formula and diapers and all the things we did to protect our babies and all the money we spent on safety devices and monitors. And suddenly our kids are like 13, 14. And we're like, sure, you can go out in the middle of a pandemic and have Starbucks with all your friends. <laughs> and so I, oh I'm God. really confounded by what's going on with some parents. And I can only imagine that it comes from that, like, it's hard to say no to them, or they're just so sad, or they're just so lonely. I'm not really sure. But Besides me ranting on social media, <laughs> Tina, what would be like a more constructive way to talk to other parents that we know in our networks who are still being really loose about playdates and get-togethers? They're not really focusing on the real issue and how important it is for not just your own family's safety, but the safety of everyone. Oh, that's such a good question. Sorry, I know I gave you a really hard one there. <laughs> yeah, I would just moonwalk backwards right out of that room. <laughs> I just throw 
throw a roll of toilet paper at them and run <laughs> the other direction. <laughs> Just get out. No, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, you know, there's a part of me, I'll just be honest with you, that just sort of splits off and watches this whole thing as an intellectual fascination, what's happening like in culture and in group dynamics, which I think that will be many, many psychological studies in the coming years of like sort of what's happening here. And I can't get away from the idea that part of that, what you're describing, has to be kind of wiring, like a wiring issue where our brains, it's kind of like, you know, like, confirmation bias. It's kind of like in that area of like things that we're not totally consciously aware of, but that are at work in our psyches. And that like some people are just kind of like prone to this denial of like, this stuff is happening. It's coming out. I feel like it's a trick of the brain to be like, it's not that big of a deal or it doesn't apply to me. And I've had this image of like, did you ever have like a plan, right? You have a plan and then you get into a car accident on the way to your plan. And like your brain is still wanting to go do that thing, even though your car is like mangled on the side of the road and you're like, okay, but like, you're not going on with your regular day now. Like there's other things that are going to happen. Right. And I feel like in some ways, some parents are still thinking they're going to go do that thing. And unfortunately, I think, well, I should say, fortunately, perhaps things are changing so rapidly that some of this stuff is going to be not in their control anymore. Right, It's going to get worked out just by the law. Well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but by then it's going to be even harder explaining to your kids. Like, I don't know, like parent, just parent, be the parent. And you don't have to say yes to stuff. Oh, and definitely you have to keep your family be the safe. parent. Here's the other thing. So I'm in New York. So I think it's insane that people are letting their kids take the subway and go on play dates. That's me personally. I know that's going to stop soon because of law and the National Guard. And no one's going to want to get stopped by a dude with a gun right. in the street and told to go exactly. home. But, you know, what I'm hearing also is people who go up to country homes or they're up in Woodstock or they're out in the Hamptons and they're going for jogs with their friends and they're having like a small circle of like exercise friends and, you know, it's almost like some people are not processing it as adults because they think they're not in the city and therefore it's safe or, well, it's my friends. I know them and therefore it's okay. Is there any way we as parents can like do anything to help support our friends who are in denial right now? <laughs> I'm laughing um, because well, that's, I mean, the thing is, that's the whole beauty of denial, right? Is that people don't think they need to be helped. <laughs> but like, what's constructive? I, re I really mean it because I want to help people, but then I'm also like, I should just stay out of it. It's not my business. But then I think, well, wait, it's everyone's business. We're not going to flatten the curve. It's going to make the peak higher. It's going to tax the hospital systems. It's putting everyone at risk. And, you know, for all the sanctum mommies out there on the playground going like, oh, you went outside in November without socks on your kids' feet? Like, are they stepping up now and saying, like, stay home, stay home? Where are the sanctimonies when we need them? That's a really good question for social media, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's being like a doodle poll and like, did you buy organic milk? Did you do this? Are your seat belts always in the right position? And then are, are you, you still outside? <laughs> people around you. I think in that position, like there are people who are more activist minded, activist type who are willing to sort of step into the fray, right? And be the person, be the person commenting on your Facebook picture of your kid that your the harness is in the wrong spot and like you don't want to get into an accident. 
I think for our kids or for other parents, we got to be willing to look like overreactors. And like when you're talking about pulling your kids out of school a little bit early, probably eyebrows raised at you like, oh, you're kind of overreacting. But then, you know, I don't know, 72 hours later, everybody's home from school. If that's the way you're minded, like you want to reach out to those people. I think, you know, there are gentle ways to do it. You can use a little humor, give them a little nudge. Send them articles. Send them articles. (laughs) That's me. Here's the 18 articles I just read about social distancing (laughs) that you might want to read. Right. Here's a video of somebody on a respirator that I just saw that was terrifying. Like, I I don't know. I've just been sending links and saying, hey, maybe take a look at this. Let me know what you think. Totally. I mean, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, but if people do have kids who are, well, why can they do it? And we're not doing it. I think that setting clear expectations for your kids is important. Being, like you said, being the parent. And I don't mean that there's no harsh intent there for me. I I say that with compassion and love. It's hard to be the parent. It's hard to be the one to say no, particularly when your kids are feeling immune to all kinds of things and it's not going to hurt me anyway and nothing can really hurt me because I'm a teenager and you know, you're going to be the bad guy. And if you're willing to be the bad guy or you're willing to look like an overreactor, that's what's going to keep you and your family safe. You know, I would say set clear expectations for kids, have clear prohibition of a thing you don't want them to do, or gracious permission if they're allowed to do it, or an open choice if it's it's something they have a choice about, like, you know, which social media platform to connect with their friends. That's up to you. You decide. And I like that. I like that you're coming from a place of compassion Mm -hmm. and empathy also, because I I will settle into that place, but there's certain things that make me come at it from a place of like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's fear. That's fear. That's fear and anxiety. Yes. And I think when, yes. when you're not in denial, right, when you're not in denial, people who are in denial look at you like chicken little, right? Right. That's <laughs> right? a great point. Like, oh, That's a really good point. All right. So let's talk about our own fear and anxiety. We hinted at it a little earlier, but I think... <laughs> Clearly, I'm having a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's getting a little harder to hide, I think, especially as, you know, it's it's escalating at this point in time. So should we be hiding it? Does it depend on the age of our kids? You know, if we have younger kids versus I know we're talking about teens, you know, is it okay for us to talk to our kids about it? What would you recommend for those of us, you know, not even if we were anxious people, before. You know, some of us are feeling the stress and anxiety of the situation and may not have felt or characterized ourselves as anxious. So what would you say to to us and to other parents? I mean, I'll give you my worldview, right? This is totally my worldview and I will own it. I think that every person counts in a family and parents are people too. You also count. You have feelings. You're a person. That's not an uncommon question from parents about anything, right? About their own grief or their own loss or their own sadness or their own strong negative emotion. Like, how much of that do I show? You know, what's going to happen to my kids if they see me crying? Or I think it's a fair question to ask. The first thing is that you're a person, you have feelings. And, you know, hiding a feeling when something is really anxiety provoking is maybe contraindicated, right? Because kids, to a certain degree, are taking their emotional cues from us. So if we're treating it like it's no big deal and yet we're making them stay home and we don't, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. If we're communicating about the seriousness of it and talking a little bit about that it's anxiety provoking, that it's an uncertain time, I think as long as our anxieties aren't like in the middle of a panic attack, I wouldn't be necessarily (laughs) tutoring your kids on the feelings or telling them about (laughs) your own anxiety, right? If you're like in the midst of a panic attack, we want to like, you know, take a Xanax, calm down a little bit. But I do think when we're 
communicating about our feelings. We can give our real feelings to them and talk a little bit about what makes us feel anxious as long as we're not kind of bringing too much to the party. You know, we want to bring everything to the party. We want to leave most of the stuff out and give them sort of the nutshell version of what we are experiencing as parents. It's not super important to them, honestly, what we're feeling most of the time. And if it is super important to them, we want to make sure they're not feeling responsible for us and our feelings. Hmm. I mean, that's basically where I would, I would draw the line. Like if they're worried because of us, like if we're going to be okay, then it's a little too much. Right. But we want them to see us as people and understand that it's not just them. And that as a community, we're all feeling anxious. Mm -hmm. There is of power in being one of many. And I think one of the interesting things about something like this, and I'll just give you a quick aside, like as a therapist, there are very few times in my career where every single person is talking about the same thing. Like this is one of those times, right? The other one was 9-11. And a lot of my patients are too young to even remember 9-11. So for them, this is it. Like like, Mm -hmm. it is every single person I'm talking to, we're talking Mm -hmm. about this. This is what we're talking about. So the universality of that can be comforting to a person. It doesn't take away what's actually happening, but knowing that everybody else is also going through this same thing Mm -hmm. is a reality check, but it also is a network. It's people. We're all together in this thing. I don't know if that really answered your question. Yes, it does. It answered it beautifully. I like the idea that you're, I think what I'm hearing from you is first of all, to acknowledge your own feelings. It's okay to say to your kids, you know what? I'm anxious too, but I also know that there are a lot of like really brilliant scientists around the world working on this. I know that there's some really good people on top of things. I think our governor is speaking so well and gave us a really clear plan so we know what to do and we're going to get through this. Like, I think you can let your kid know that you're nervous too, but you can be reassuring and a steady presence at the same time. And also, you know, leaning on our own networks so that we can get the help we need to and not just be there for our kids all the time and take away our own human feelings and reactions to everything happening. Absolutely. That's a great Did point. I paraphrase that right? I don't want to misquote <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. Okay. So with that, I should have just said that. If I could have said that. <laughs> no, you <laughs> said it beautifully. I'm just, I'm interpreting from my own brain. <laughs> That's very right. helpful. It's really helpful. And um, Tina, I'm so glad to talk to you. Like you are one of the people I always talk to when I'm struggling with stuff parenting wise. And I feel so grateful that we have you to help all of our listeners when we are all struggling together parenting wise as you said we're all in a community all in this together i agree with that i resemble that statement 100 <laughs> percent. so if people want to find more about tina if you happen to be in the new jersey and pennsylvania area you can find tina at her website it's tina montagna that's m-o-n-t-a-g-n-a tate.com tina montagna tate.com and of course you can reach out to us if you have more questions or comments or anything you can find us of course on social media and on coolmompics.com or you can drop us an email spawned at coolmompics.com and i know we didn't do cool picks of the week this week but i can can safely say that all three of us have the same cool pick this week, which is wash your hands. <laughs> Definitely wash your yes. hands. <laughs> wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Those are our cool picks of the week. All right. Well, Tina, thank you so much for taking some time out and joining us. I already feel my anxiety meter has gone down immensely just by talking to you. And I know that you're going to help out a lot of parents as you do every day in your practice. So thanks so much for that. So you don't need to use the pee jar in your closet right now is what you're saying. <laughs> it was a bucket, but that's okay. I'm not going to be, <laughs> so I'm not going to hold you to that. That's all right. And, and listen, we will be right back after this. 
So, Liz, I don't know if you know this, but even though I actually had eye issues from when I was really little, I didn't realize how important it was to have a screening for my babies. If only I had known about our sponsor, Infancy. Yes, they are doing a lot of really good things for a lot of families and especially babies. They provide access to comprehensive infant eye assessments with participating doctors of optometry and Best of all, free of charge. And you know how much we like free. Yes. And I have a little data nerd stuff for you, Ooh, Liz. I like Are the you data ready nerd for stuff. this? Yes, I am. Okay. So, did you know that the American Optometric Association recommends that babies have their first assessment around six months of age, which is actually when their eyes undergo pretty big changes? Did you know that? I did not know that because I probably back then in those bleary eyed, haha, no pun intended days. I just took my kids to whatever appointment they were supposed to go to and the doctors did whatever they were supposed to do. I did not even think to do something like that. Yeah, well, here's some more stats for you because I know you love these stats. So an estimated... <laughs> An estimated one in five preschoolers have vision problems, but there are ways that parents can help assure that their child's eyes and vision are developing properly from watching signs for any eye and vision problems to seeking professional eye care. And this starts with a comprehensive eye assessment around the age of six months. I get it. Now that I have older kids who actually one of them needs glasses, I totally understand it even better now firsthand. So thanks to Infant C which is actually a public service program managed by Optometry Cares, the AOA Foundation, families can bring their child, 6 to 12 months of age, to a participating optometrist for a free, free, one more time, totally free, comprehensive infant eye assessment regardless of your family income or your insurance coverage. Go to infantc.org. That's infantcse.org for more information and to find a practitioner. That's infantc.org. Well, thank you so much for joining us for what we hope is a very helpful episode of Spawned. Huge thanks to our guest, Tina, and of course, to our engineer, John Bowen. We know this is a really difficult time for everyone. I know I'm raising my hand raising when my I hand. say that. Both hands in the air. <laughs> raising our hands. Hands in the air. We're going to be doing our best to check in more often, perhaps with new mini episodes that we're going to launch soon. But if there's a topic that you'd like us to talk about, please, please let us know. Reach out. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Cool Mom Picks, or you can just drop us an email at spawned at coolmompicks.com. And hey, you can also join us in the Spawned podcast community on Facebook, which really is becoming a very helpful and lovely community. We've had a lot of good talks about what's going on with our own kids this week, and oh, I want to cry. There's been like so much helpful parent to parent information and advice in there. It really is nice to have kind of a, a safe space. So we hope you'll join us. Just go into Facebook and search for Spawned podcast community. And we'll talk about that and anything else you'd like to talk about these days. If you need to keep your mind off of things and you want to talk about reality shows, Kristen will be there joining right in. That's absolutely (laughs) true. So hang in there, mamas. Thanks for listening to Spawn. This is Kristen. And this is Liz. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.